0: Thanks, Tim. Family, hello. Thanks for uh, letting me come up here and for opening up a wonderful part of Scripture. And if it's uh, any influence that I've got here, which is zero, I'm up for jetty baptising, all right? I've, I've already been baptised, but I'd like to be double-dunked, if that's the way I'm in. I reckon that's a great thing to do. Uh, when, when I was four... Don't know whether you'll believe this, but I was a very good bike rider, right? I was like a BMX beast. I'd cruise around for hours. We used to have this small car park next to our house, and I'd cruise and cruise hours and hours. I didn't have a beard then, believe it or not, but um, if I did, it would be windswept, and I would just be in my own little world cruising. And there was a day of devastation. I remember my parents sitting me down, and saying, your training wheels are coming off, <laughs> right? And I, I flipped out. That was horrible. That was really bad news. And uh, the, the stability that I had, the goodness, the smoothness, that all went. It all went. But you know what? Even though I panicked, I freaked out, in the end it was better. I had my older brother there, and uh, for, for a day or so, he would run with me with his hand uh, on my back, hand holding the seat, he'd run alongside, around and around, and we went further than the car park. And things were better, and after a while, uh, we kind of picked up, and, uh, and I didn't need him, and I kept on going, and things got better. Same bike, same aim to ride, same goodness, but something had changed. And now the part that you're up to in John, the disciples receive some pretty devastating or potentially devastating news. Jesus is there in the upper room. He's only probably half a day or so away from dying on the cross for them. And uh, they've been with him for three years, 24 hours a day. They know him. He knows them. They've lived there together as they've traveled around. He is the one that they look to for guidance, for direction, for that stability, that protection, teaching. And they've just received this news that soon, soon he's going to be gone. And if you can imagine for them for a moment, it must have been confusing, it must have been incredibly unsettling that their master was leaving. It's not just the training wheels that have been taken off, but to them it probably seemed like the the actual wheels of the whole thing was falling off. And if you keep reading the Bible, many of you will know that the disciples act like the wheels have fallen off. Once Jesus is dead, they don't know what's going on. But Jesus, they must be thinking, you are the reason that we are here. How will people know to follow you if you're not actually here to or follow? What are we meant to do? It's easier, Jesus, if you're around. And surely you and I have the same thought. right? This Wednesday night down in Foster, we kick off our life series. Do you guys have like a life series, Christianity Explained type thing? What's it called? Foundations. Oh, that's a better name. Yeah, Foundations. <laughs> so we've got... We call it Foundations. It's kicking off on Wednesday in Foster. And, um, and w- wouldn't it... And we bring our friends, family members there to find out who Jesus is. Wouldn't it be better if Jesus was there instead of me? And I could say, well, you know, here he is. And he can do the miracles, do teaching, those kind of things. I can see him in his glory. It would be wonderful, surely... That would be better. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because if Jesus is there with me at our Foundations Course series on Wednesday night, then where is he not? He's not here with you for yours. He can only be in one place in one time. That's his earthly ministry. He tracked around with his disciples, being in one place, one time, and people all came to him. It would be like doing the Christian life solo, without Jesus. It would be like the training wheels are off, definitely, but you're at the top of a big hill and Jesus just pushes you and says, see at the bottom, maybe, you're on your own. That's it. But thankfully, that was never, ever God's plan. Never. So alongside the news that he is leaving, devastating, is also this promise which gives hope. It's a really rich and reassuring promise that another is coming. Someone else will be with them and he will do the same things. So you've got your Bible there, your phone, or might come up on the screen. Verse 16, Jesus says to them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. To be with you forever. The spirit of truth is another advocate as a helper or a counselor. Someone to walk beside you. And it's important for you and me as we get into this to to know what Jesus is saying because it kind of colors the whole passage going forward. He's leaving the disciples true, but it's not like they are getting a downgrade, all right? They're not getting a downgrade. It's like when, uh, years ago, when we swapped from landline phones, or had a phone in your house with a cord, something really long, uh, and yet you're bound to that, and here, now, today, everyone in their pocket has a phone, and we're a lot more mobile, all right? Same goodness, all right, but more, more mobile, and that's kind of what they're getting, And so Jesus, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? That's what we're going to look at this survey. What can you and I expect of the one to come? And as these training wheels come off, we're going to have our Bibles cracked open. So check out verse 17. He is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live you also will live. And on that day, you'll realise that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. There's heaps to pull out in just these verses, right? But I just want to pull out three key things. And the first one is the idea of conviction. That's what the Spirit does for you and me is convict. Do you notice at the beginning of verse 17, what did he say? The title that Jesus gives for the Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him. The Spirit convicts the world of the truth that they need Jesus. It's a truth that the world largely, by and large, hates, isn't it? Hates the truth that Jesus is king over all. And yet the Spirit serves as the truthful, the faithful witness to all of us that Jesus is one that we desperately need. My mouth went really dry then. Not used to preaching in front of good looking people. The, um... <laughs> it's not being recorded, is it? Um, All right, and so that's that's the role. One of the roles that the Spirit has is one of conviction, deep conviction. Um, And and you know what? That's a role that I personally am eternally thankful for, because in my human nature, I love sin. In my human nature, I love myself so unbelievably much. It's sickening. To God, it's sickening. And I would never come up with the idea that Jesus is my king because I've got this idea that I'm my king. I'm the one that rules my little mini hopeless empire. And I would never choose to follow another as king. And so this role of conviction that the Spirit has is pointing my soul or showing my soul that, no, Jesus is king and that there is a desperate need to be under his kingship. The Spirit shows me the truth that if I remain in my sin, saturated in my sin, then that sin has a consequence, and that consequence is an eternity without God, an eternity with God's wrath on me, deservedly so, very deservedly. And so the spirit convicts, says there is a better way. And that way is Jesus. What he did on the cross for me, subbing in, in my place, where I deserve to die, that, if I follow him, if I submit to his kingship, I ask for his forgiveness, then that guarantees me reconciliation with God. That's a spirit's role. He is a spirit of truth, and he brings that truth right into my soul—the conviction that leads to salvation. Right, that's number one. Number one key thing of the spirit's role. The second one is also starts with C. Or I've made it start with C, right, conveniently, which also starts with C. It is companionship. All right um, you know australia the government did a survey this was a couple of years ago uh, pre pandemic and they reckon that one in every three aussies describe themselves as lonely one in 3 australians describe themselves as lonely one in 6 describe themselves as extremely lonely that is a huge amount of our population that is facing loneliness or feel detached or lonely. And surely, after the last couple of years, you'd think that it's probably increased uh, as well. People cut off or isolated. Um, and I noticed on the way up here that um, uh, McDonald's, I stopped at McDonald's, uh, they, they've got the same idea. They're plugging into this. They've got this new advertising campaign. Does anyone know what it is? Has anyone seen the advertising to recruit? Don't eat... You don't eat McDonald's? Guys, what kind of church is this? This um, They've got You see it outside the Maccas. They've got come make a mate. Come and have a friend. Come and find a friend. Work in a team. Isn't that incredible? They've kind of tapped into this thing that people want friends. People are lonely. And so now it's not just money, come and work for money, it's incentive, come and work for discount maccas or the visor that they give you. They're good incentives, but here they're tapping into people are lonely. They feel isolated, so come and make a mate, work at McDonald's, be part of a crew and a team. <clears throat> but maybe you'll hear this arvo, and that kind of resonates. You think, you know what, I, I am... You know, there are times when I feel lonely, but overall, I would say that I'm, I feel cut off. That's why I come here, the Savo, is because for most of the week I feel lonely. This is the second key thing that we're going to pick up that Jesus says, because of the Spirit, as a believer, you are not alone, not ever there is not one minute of your life because God's Spirit indwells in you that you are ever alone. If you're an introvert, that might make you nervous. It shouldn't. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth of the gospel is that no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what you've gone through this year, the years over over your past or the years to come. You will not for one minute ever be alone. Do you notice in in verse 17 and 20, Jesus says that his spirit is in you, that Jesus is in you. The same spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, that raised Christ from the dead resides in you if you follow Jesus. It's having God right there every step of the way. The day that you repented, the Spirit took up residence uh, in your heart, and what he does is he begins to renovate that heart. That's one of his roles, is to be there with you, renovating. So there's not a day, hour, or minute that you can actually ever say you are by yourself. God is fully with you. And in a country... Where loneliness is like an epidemic, that is a wonderful truth that the believer carries around with them. But but the truth is you and I don't feel like that a lot of the time. Do we? That's, and that's why this passage is key. That's why it's important. That's why it's important for you and me to preach that to ourselves, to remind ourselves of that truth, that we are never alone. Now you know, on uh, Thursday, uh, I met with a uh, uh, beautiful sister in Christ, Audrey. Uh, Audrey uh, is in hospital and she's got cancer all throughout her body, in uh, almost every part of her body. And the prognosis that the doctors gave her is a, uh, just maybe a week, possibly two, uh, to, uh, to live. And um, as I sat there beside her... She asked what I'm preaching on this week. And I said this this passage, John, John 14. And she said, What it would, you know, what, what's the big point? I said, Well, one of the big points is that God is always with you because of his spirit. And she began crying. And she said, Dev, you have you have no idea how true that is. There is no one here who knows. What I feel. No one. Not not the staff, they're very caring. The people that come and visit, they are extraordinarily caring and loving, and yet they don't know how I feel. They don't know my thoughts, what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing. She said, but God does. And when I lie here at night crying, God knows. He knows what I'm going through. She said, Dev, that is the most precious gift of all. Isn't that that unbelievable? It's an incredible gift. And what about you? I don't know your situation. I don't know what you've been through in the last week, year. Decade. Maybe you live by yourself. Maybe there's been some super tough times this year. Maybe single, married. Maybe you're married and doing it tough. Or you are sick. And, and for us believers, if you follow Jesus, it's a hard thing to grasp. But that's what jesus is saying i will not leave you as orphans i am there i will come to you his spirit lives in us and he's always there and know today that you can never be alone never even in the darkest times Isn't that companionship to the next level? Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful gift? The third key thing, conviction, companionship, is confidence. Also beginning with C. I hope you notice the pattern that I'm using. It's very important. Those two phrases, uh, verses 17 and 20, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And on the day you'll realise that I'm in my Father, you are in me and I am in you. Do, you. do you notice that there is a monumental shift that happens when you begin following Jesus? As you track through John's Gospel, this end bit, or all of it, um, you, you'll notice big themes uh, that the, the Gospel writer John He uses, uh, I I think it's like the Star Wars gospel, right? John says we move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, uh, the kingdom of death to life. There's these big kind of themes that run all the way through John's gospel. And the moment that you and I begin following Jesus, his spirit indwells in us. And this is an incredible thing. What what? the Spirit does by living in us or having Jesus in us and us in Him, the Spirit living in us actually draws you and me into the Trinity. God is a triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and Jesus being in us and us being in Jesus through the Spirit draws you and me into Trinity. The Trinity. Isn't that incredible? I've never been part of a Trinity before. I'm sure that you haven't either, but isn't that incredible that that happens? And with that comes this immense security in the relationship that you and I have with God. Paul will say it in 2 Corinthians, uh, that the Spirit is a deposit, a seal of ownership, a guarantee of, of eternal life, The Spirit gives you and me an assurance of our salvation as we are drawn in to that Trinity. And so, this this is so important for you and me, as believers, to get our heads around, uh, especially as we get to a verse like 21 and and beyond. The Bible often depicts the Christian life like a running race. You're familiar with that kind of term, that you run the race and persevere. And I'm not very good at running because I run for a bit and I get puffed out, and so I just stop. And so I don't enjoy running, and so not that I've changed the Bible, but I kind of reformat it, right, in in my head to something that's not running. And I used to work in outdoor recreation and would do rock climbing, and so that I liked rock climbing, Uh, and so um, I change it into my head to to be rock climbing that uh, I strive... uh, through God's grace, up up the wall, and um, if you imagine a rock climbing wall, I was hoping there's going to be one in this thing, but I've lucked out, right? But I assume you'll know what a rock wall looks like, or an artificial rock climbing wall. Uh, and, and if you imagine at the very top that there is Christ likeness up there, you're seeing that. You got it right. There is Christ likeness. Uh, up there we'll call it a blue thing right it's Christ likeness is up there and so when the spirit enters us his role is to renovate our hearts and turn us towards Christ likeness and so the moment we stand at the bottom of the wall and we come to Christ uh, what the spirit does is grabs that carabiner and clips it on to a harness and then he welds it shut right it's done Shut, done deal. Okay, the relationship has begun. We are welded in. And now, here's that anchor, that rope, going all the way to the top of Christ's likeness. We are secure in him. And as we begin to climb, we grab the handholds or the footholds, and we make our way up, and that is your life we make our way up the wall uh, heading towards Christ likeness and the reality is the spirit is kind of dragging us up uh, the whole time but there is you and me acting on and obeying Christ as we make our way up the wall and you know what sometimes uh, you read it through the bible yes we fall away right we fall away from Christ likeness we get distracted by different holds or geckos on the wall or whatever uh, and, and, you know, you've got Hebrews, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're over here being distracted by this, so you're still on um, a milk rather than solid food, but you ought to be further up the wall than what you are now. You're distracted, so keep on going. Hebrews Still, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Keep on climbing. The Spirit secures us in our climb to Christ's likeness. Which is great, because the works we do don't secure our salvation. You and I are secured already. Our salvation isn't dependent on the works that we do. They're just a part of being saved. It'd be weird to come to the bottom of the wall and clip on and then just stand at the bottom of the wall looking at stuff and not climbing. That would be weird. The same thing in the Christian life is we clip on through Christ, securing the Spirit, and then we begin to climb. It's a result of us being clipped on. We begin to climb towards Christ's likeness because of Love is where the analogy falls apart a bit, but she's um, stuck to the race. The Spirit gives you and me the ability to love and to act out that love in obedience. And you and I can have the confidence to do that, knowing that what we do for Jesus does not determine our salvation, does not determine how much he loves us, we are secure in that relationship already. And so the Spirit gives you and me freedom to follow Jesus. Have a look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. It's not that we keep the command to earn his love or his approval, but because of the love we have for Jesus, that the Spirit produces fruit that's born of the love that we have. The fruit of obedience with his teachings and desires. And again, he repeats in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. How best do you describe your love for Jesus? It's not necessarily in the songs that we sing, as wonderful as they are, or having a cross necklace or a sweet Bible verse tattoo. All those things are expressions. And yet, how do we best express the love that we have for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross? It's by doing what he says. It's the same, uh, I'm married, I've got one wife, and, um, and, and I love my wife dearly, uh, and I hope that that is evident in the way that I live. And whether she is around or not, um, if I'm around her, I serve her, I honour her uh, as best as I can, and yet if she isn't around, then I am faithful to her. I think about her. My desire is to do those things uh, it is because I love her. And for you and me, it's the same with Jesus. Our desire, if we love him, is to honour him. And so the Spirit empowers us to obey our loving Master. And it goes with a bit of a disclaimer um, that, yes, you and I will stuff up. We will entertain temptation. We, we will fall into sin. But this is why the Spirit securing our salvation is so key. This doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're fake followers. It means that we've slipped on the wall. It means that we've missed a handhold. But the Spirit is there to catch us because we are anchored in to Christ. Christ. And in verse 24, there, if there is no love for Jesus, there is no spirit empowerment to obey. Folks, we're going to land this, and um, just in terms of practicals, verse 25, 26. Does all this I've spoken while with you? Still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Are you being open, or are you open to being taught by the Spirit? As you open God's Word regularly and sit under it. This is a key for you and me is that we sit under the Word and not over the Word in authority, not chucking out the bits that we don't like there is so much that Jesus says that will clash with our culture and increasingly so as our culture moves more and more away from biblical tradition. But we don't throw those bits out or or skip them because they don't sit well with us. By the Spirit, we sit under the authority that we find in the Word. Maybe something for you to try as practical as you kind of continue in John's Gospel, I think, till Christmas. Is it every time you open God's Word, whether that's tomorrow, uh, if you spend some time with God in the Word or at your home group uh, or next Sunday uh, as you come here and open the next bit of John's Gospel, would you pray this prayer? Holy Spirit, would you help me to love Jesus well? in light of what I'm about to read. is wonderful prayer? Would you help me, Holy Spirit, to love Jesus well, in light of what I'm about to read. Tomorrow morning, as I open the Bible, I'll spend some time with God over breakfast, I will pray that prayer. Will you pray that prayer with me? As we are open to being taught by the Spirit, As he uses the word in our hearts. Second, practical is this is it because you and I are secure, that rope is there, it's not breaking, it's welded on, the wall is ours to play with? Will you take big risks for the gospel? Will you trust that God will do big things in you and through you this week? what will that look like for you? What will it look like for you to be closer to the top to Christ's likeness than you are now, by next Sunday? As you spend time with the Word and with God's people, time with Him in prayer and in His Word, as He shapes you, as the Spirit renovates your heart, what will it look like for you to be a handhold closer next Sunday? Is the Spirit pressing on your conscience guiding you away from a certain temptation this week would you go with him would you listen to a voice and would you ask for his help and strength to choose the Jesus option is he nudging you towards an opportunity to share about him about Jesus would you trust him take the jump and he will use it for his purposes and for our good Would you take a big risk this week for Jesus and then the next week and the week after? And the last one is this, and this is admittedly a little bit weird, right? I used the training wheels kind of incident that I kind of started off with a couple of years ago in a sermon, and since then, it's actually helped me a lot. And this might be some of the weirdest sermon application you've had, but... I'm glad to do that, and my hope is that as you leave this hall, that whenever you see a bike, whenever you're teaching someone to ride, whenever you're sitting there in the car and you see someone riding past in a bike, whenever you get on a bike yourself if if you ride, my hope is that it prompts you to thankfulness. To thank God to know that He is there with you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your thoughts are, and He's there for you. You know, every time I drive around Foster and I see someone riding a bike, there is thankfulness. It's a reminder that God is there. He hasn't left. He's by my side. For the disciples back then. Jesus kind of says these training wheels are about to come off, but you're not on your own. He sends his spirit to convict, to be a companion, and to give confidence to them as they head out into the world to spread the gospel and build the kingdom so that they can love him and obey his commands. He says the same thing to you and me. So would you love well, would you obey well, and would you live risky this week? Because we can, the wall is ours to play with. Family, would you pray with me? Kind Master, we thank you for your rich and deep words. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, empower us uh, to live for you this week. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you, if they feel the nudge of the spirit leading them to Jesus, I pray you would help them to follow as they meet the gracious King. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to take a step or a a climb towards Christ's likeness. Uh, This week, would you work big things in our hearts for your glory. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your precious, precious name. Amen.